Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, and if you have your Bible with you, you'll want to open to Matthew chapter 1 today. Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one around you somewhere that you can uh, take and have, or there's some out in the, the narthex, the foyer area out there as well. Uh, we want to make sure that you have access to the Word of God, so, uh, so uh, grab one around you somewhere. Um, and just to let you know, after the game starts, I will give updates every five minutes um, for you, um, because I love hockey. Um, and it's great. Um, right, so, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it, it's perhaps the theme song of Advent, right? It's, it, we sing it every year uh, leading up to Christmas. Every, every week in Advent, we sing uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and we hear a part of our tradition here at Redeemer is that we add a verse each week. So the very first week of Advent, we just sang the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and then by this week, it was big and robust and, and longer, and, uh, and we, we sang them all as, as kind of a, um, uh, a, a build-up, a, a trajectory, a crescendo that of what Advent really, of what Advent really is. And so, so this morning, I want to talk about this word Emmanuel, and what, why is it so important, and why do we do, devote an entire church year, I mean, sorry, church season, uh, to waiting and longing for Emmanuel. Why is this word so important? And so let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 1 and talk, and we'll, we'll start there. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Joseph, son of David. This is what the angel says when he comes to tell Joseph about what's going to happen with Mary. He's already gone to Mary, explained things to Mary, that she is going to give birth to a child, uh, and this child is going to be quite particularly special. And, uh, and so now he's going to explain to Joseph. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, so there's this interesting part of this passage of the angel came to Joseph and said, there's going to be a baby, name him Jesus. And then there's a quote of scripture that says his name will be called Emmanuel. Did the which is it, right? Like Joseph's trying to order the pottery barn embroidered diaper bag, and he's like, do I put, do I put an I on it for Emmanuel, or a J for Jesus, or, or maybe Emmanuel spelled with an E, I don't even know, and someone's like, well, in the Greek, Jesus starts with I, you know, whatever. Like he's, he's trying to figure this out, what, what is Jesus' name? What's going on here that his name is Jesus, but his name will be called Emmanuel? So, so his name is Jesus. In verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from, his, uh, from their sins. So Jesus means, the word means, uh, God saves. That's what, the, that's what Jesus' name means. Yeshua, Joshua uh, means uh, Yahweh saves. And so it means God saves. That's Jesus' name. 
all the attributes about him is that God saves. Then it says that his name shall be called Emmanuel. So his name is Jesus, but his name, the name of Jesus, shall be called Emmanuel. So Jesus is Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God is with us. So what this means is, when Jesus is with us, God is with us. When Jesus is with us, God is with us, because of the nature of who Jesus is. So what I want to answer today, briefly, this morning, is how is Jesus God with us? And so what? Those are the two things I want to briefly answer this morning. We're going to, we're going to dive kind of theologically deep this morning. So if you have coffee, take a little sip of that, um, because we're going, to, we're going to kind of do a deep dive into this understanding of what it means that Jesus is Emmanuel and God, God with us. We want to be able to think deeply about our faith. Sometimes we can kind of go, oh, Oh, I don't need to get into all the deep theological stuff. I just know Jesus is good and I just love him and that's good. And that's great. But we want to think deeply about these things because we want to explore the richness and the depth of who God is. And these discussions that we're about to have here have actually been going on for thousands of years within the church. Okay, so Christians believe this. Christians believe that Jesus has two natures, that he is fully God and he is fully man at the same time. He's both God and man at the same time. And don't worry if it's a bit confusing, because the church has, has had to work through this over its history as well. So let's go into the 4th century. All right, in 325-ish, uh, there was discussions in the church about the nature of, of who Jesus Christ was. And there was a gathering of, of church leaders and bishops that we call the Council of Nicaea. And at the Council of Nicaea, they wrote the Nicene Creed. And we say that creed every single Sunday to remind us and to teach us who Jesus is and, uh, well, in, who the entire Trinity is, but part of it is who Jesus is. Uh, and it says things in there that Jesus is of one being with the Father. You say that every week that you are here. You say that Jesus is of one being with the Father. Okay, so that's early 4th century. Now, let's move ahead to the 5th century. There was this archbishop whose name was Nestorius. Um, and Nestorius started teaching that Jesus had two distinct natures. That he was, yes, both God and man, but those two natures had really nothing to do with one another. Because he was worried that if Jesus had a human nature, that that would taint his divine nature. And, well, that couldn't happen. And so, uh, and so they, are, they are completely separate from one another. Um, and the church had to meet to talk through this and be like, well, is that okay or not? And so they called the Council of Ephesus in 431. And 250 bishops came uh, to Ephesus to have this meeting. And they reaffirmed the Nicene Creed and they told Nestorius, I'm sorry, you've been voted off the island, right? Um, that, uh, that, he, that they called him a heretic. They said, you know, no, that's, that's not what we teach. Okay? So Nestorius said two different distinct natures apart from each other that didn't have any effect on either one. So, so there, was one, uh, there was one important church leader as well um, uh, whose name was Eutyches, and he pushed back against Nestorius and this whole separate nature thing, but he went way too far the other way and started teaching that what you have in Jesus is if you take 
the divine nature and you take human nature and you mix them together, then you get a third thing, what in, in theological terms they call a tertium quid, a third thing. And so somehow Jesus is not God and man, he's God-man, right? He's sort of, these yellow and blue make green, Jesus is green, okay? And so then the church went, wait, I, it, the, there are some problems with this too, and that doesn't seem to be what, what the Nicene Creed is saying, and, and, and so we need to gather again. And so they got back together again in 451 in the Council of Chalcedon, and this time 520 bishops came to have this meeting to discuss these deep theological issues. I'm telling you, like these, we can't just kind of go like, yeah, I don't want to get into that deep theological stuff. This is important. 520 bishops from like the known world at the time uh, made that journey to be able to be at this council to discuss these things because they're that important, the nature of Jesus Christ. And so they came together and said, well, what do we do with this? And they said, well, sorry, you also voted off the island. Um, and uh, uh, you are also, we're going to call you a heretic too. We're going to push, push you out to the side. We're going to reaffirm the Nicene Creed again. And so what they've just done is they've, they've taken off the extremes on either side, that Jesus has two natures that don't, that don't have anything to do with one another, or the two natures of Jesus, the divine and the human, are mixed together and he's some third separate God-man werewolf thing. I don't know um, what, what, what happens over there. And so the, the, uh, the Christian doctrine of understanding the, the nature of Christ is that he is fully God and fully man at the same time. And here's what, here's what the, the, uh, the bishops coming together at Chalcedon said. I'm not going to read you the whole statement, but it starts off this. We then, following the Holy Fathers, so that means following all those who have come before them, all with one consent... Teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. And it goes on to say this, He has two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, and without separation. So let me explain super quick what those means. Without confusion, he's not a third thing. They don't get, the natures don't get confused with one another. Without change, the humanity of Jesus doesn't affect his divinity in the sense that it makes him like a bad God. Um, uh, nor does his divinity make him less human. Without division is the other thing they said. So he doesn't have multiple personalities. right? So the, his disciples didn't have to go... Which Jesus am I talking to right now? Am I talking to human Jesus or God Jesus? There, there was not a division or a separation in that way. And that's the last thing. They said that without separation, that his natures are not two entities in partnership, but are he is fully both of those things. So now, with that, some of that theological lesson out there, why is this so important? What? Why is the idea of Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, and why is this coming so important? Because if you have, in the person of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and Mary, right, coming together, that you have the fully divine, fully human, you have the unique coming together of mankind that has a penalty to pay for their sin and a holy God who has the ability to pay it in the unique person of Jesus Christ. 
Because you see, the, uh, the entirety of the Old Testament shows us that we cannot outperform our sin. Like We can't, we can't be good enough uh, to, and to correct ourselves. We sin in omission, things that we should have done that we didn't. In commission, things that we, that we did do that we shouldn't have done. And that we also have sin in our very being, passed down from our first father, Adam. And so we have a sin nature within us. And so, so when we talk about a nature, what do I mean when I say nature? Uh, that it's a, the nature of a person or a thing is what is sort of the essential qualities or makeup or the attributes of that person or thing. And so having a sin nature means that it's a defining attribute of us. We are sinners. You, you don't have to teach your children how to sin. They just they know that on their own, right? They don't they don't lean towards righteousness, and that you have to convince them to be sinners, unless that's just my children. Um, but I think that's probably been your experience as well. If not, we do need volunteers in the nursery and in children's liturgy. You can learn this theological truth um, that we have a we have a sin nature. So, so Jesus then coming through Mary, God putting on the flesh, puts on the flesh without the sin nature. And you go, wait a second, well, Dan, now I'm a little confused because how is it possible that Jesus can be human without having a sin nature? Well, see, we're so used to humans having a sin nature because that's all that we, that's all that we know. But you can be human without a sin nature because what the scripture teaches us is that uh, that we were created without it, and that sin entered into the world. This is Romans, uh, that Paul says in Romans, that, uh, that sin entered into the world through Adam. And so it's, it's that that's been passed down to us, and what Jesus is doing is he's the second Adam. He's starting a new creation, going back to before sin entered into the world and corrupted us, that he is coming in to start a new creation. And that's why the incarnation, what happens with, with God becoming the flesh in Jesus through Mary, that's why for thousands of years we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. And that's why in Advent we are awaiting His coming. Because the, the one who is coming, who... Uh, who we are remembering his incarnation at Christmas and then his return when he comes back again is the one who can save us. Jesus, God saves. Emmanuel, God with us. So the God who can save is with us. And that's glorious and great news. The implications of this, that, that we can't save ourselves, no human being can save us, no, no way of thinking can save us, no self-help can cure, our, uh, can cure our sin nature, no therapy can move us to the place of, of healing our heart and our soul completely and making us not sinners. There's no, there's no structure and construct of man, even the good things of, that we have created cannot save us. And now, Jesus, God saves, is Emmanuel. God is with us. The God who saves is with us. So, 
This is why we talk about the exclusivity of Christ. And that means that this is why we say as Christians that, that we can't, all religions aren't the same and just have different names. That the reason that we believe that is not because we're, we're politically closed-minded. It's because there has never been and never will be again anyone like Jesus who is fully God and fully man at the same time. And that's why the scripture itself in Acts chapter 4 says there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Because our faith as Christians is not inspiration that makes us do better until we get to God, but rather that God has condescended. He's come to be one of us to save us through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is great and wonderful and glorious news. The implications of this are not just theological. It's not like, oh, that's, in, that's interesting. That's a neat way of, of seeing that. They're not just theological or it not just salvific in the sense of this is not just about where are you going to go when you die. But there are relational implications of this as well. Why would God put on flesh in Jesus Christ and come to be with us? Why would he do that? Philippians chapter 2 talks about this as well. Like he, left, he left the glories of heaven and, and came down to be born in a stable. Why? Why would he do it? Why? Because he loves us and wants us to be able to be with him. Just simple truth, deeply theological. God, the God of all creation, the God of the entire universe, the God of all time, the one who's created all things and by whom, through whom all things are held together, loves us and wants us to be with Him. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's the basics of all Christian doctrine. The God of the universe loves us. He's not angry. He's not distant. He's not squinty-eyed with a bony finger pointing at you. He's not neglectful. He loves us to the point of pursuing us even into the flesh. And so friends, if you ever wonder, does, has God forgotten me? Does, is God here? Has God abandoned me? God pursued you into the flesh because He loves you and He is pursuing you and chasing after you. God even calls Himself our Father. He could have used a lot of other titles, and there are other titles for Him as well, but He didn't have to call Himself our Father. That's a fleshy thing. Right? That's a, that's a divine and flesh coming together. He wants us to see him as his father, the one who longs for us. And I know if you're like, well, when I think I didn't have, I didn't have a good relationship with my father, that's a hard thing for me to hear. Well, let Jesus or, and God redeem that of what a father should be. The one who is present, the one who does care, the one who is out for your flourishing, the one who is providing, the one, the kind of father that we're all longing for is how God has revealed himself. And that is a flesh-filled image. The, the idea of the two natures of Christ coming together in the person of Christ to be born on what we call Christmas is the most loving act that we had ever seen 
until the crucifixion, which is the other end of that. Jesus' life is an act of obedience and love. Obedience to God, love for Him, love for us. That's what it means that Jesus is God saves and God is with us. We see this throughout the Scripture in the very beginnings of, of the book of the Bible, that God takes walks in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Like that's the kind of togetherness, that's the kind of relational connectedness that, that, they, that they had together. And that it isn't until Genesis chapter 3 when sin enters into the world, when that relationship is broken. And then throughout the rest of the Scripture, we see that longing to be with God and for God to be with His people. And we continuously rebel, but we see God continuously coming back. God spoke through His prophets promising, I will be your God, you will be my people. There's, you read Exodus and there's a constant discussion of God going before them in a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. I will lead you. I will give you a land. All the discussion about in the Old Testament of the tabernacle and the temple of God's presence with them until we finally start to move to the New Testament and the, the, the presence of God becomes flesh. We see in John chapter 1 in the person of Jesus. And so what happens when God in the flesh, God saves, God is with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, what happens when he comes? Well, listen to this. We're going to read this again in just a few days. Luke chapter 2. The angels appear to the shepherds. And they say this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angels are singing over this. Like the angels are rejoicing. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And listen close. This will be a sign for you. How do we know this is true? How do we know? How do we know that the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah has come? How do we know? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Uh, so the sign, how do we know that God is with us, is a warm lumpy ball of flesh. It's a squishy little baby. God is with us. That this, this is the depth of God's love, that the creator of the universe has, has humbled himself to this point of becoming this baby who had to nurse to survive, who had to have his diapers changed. That this is what God has done for us. And then when they say that, this is, friends, just don't miss this. This is, this is some of the greatest news that the world has ever heard. It was announced by angels. So this, this angel comes and tells us, and then it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That's the heavenly host is the armies of God. So, so we're thinking armies of angels, right? The rank upon rank of glorious angels. And every time in the scripture that you see one angel appear, people fall on their face afraid or start worshiping them. And the angels are always like, no, no, no. Like, if you think this is good, you wait until you see God. Like, don't worship me. I'm nothing in compared to what God is. And you now have a, a host, a, a multitude of the heavenly hosts. And what are they doing? They're praising God and they're saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's rejoicing of the, in the armies of God with these shepherds out in the field because 
of this squishy little crying baby nursing at his mother's breast. Because this is the greatest news that the world has ever heard, that God saves and God is with us. Emmanuel. So Jesus was born in the flesh. He died physically in the flesh. He was resurrected in the flesh after he came back from his resurrection. This is, this is Thomas putting his, his finger, his hand in his side and his finger um, in, his, uh, in his hand. And he ate with them to show that he was really in the flesh. That he has been resurrected physically, he ascended into heaven physically, and that he will return physically, and that the promises of Revelation are that when he returns, we will be with him in a physical city, in a physical garden, together with him, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God is with us. And even when before he ascends into heaven, Jesus tells his disciples, he gives them the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. And then he says, I will be with you always until the very end of the age. I will be with you. God is with us. So it's easy to see right now and say, this is, this is great, Dan. Like, I, I, I love this idea, but right now sometimes he just feels distant. I wish I could see him now. I wish I could. I wish I could put my finger in his hand, put my hand in his side. I, I wish I could see him now. Well, here's two things I'll say to that. Welcome to Advent. That's what we're longing for. And that's at his glorious reappearing. That's when we get to go, this is it. He's come. He's come back. He's returned. And that will be a great and glorious day when our longing for him is uh, is is fulfilled. That that's what this season is about, and should be the sense of this sense of longing should be something that we hold all year as Christians as well. And are we reminded of this? We are reminded of this in Advent every year. So one, when you say, "Gosh, I just wish that I could see him and feel him and, and touch him now," one, yes, um, hold on to that until his glorious appearing, and let that give you hope. And don't, don't dismiss your longing for him as a sense that you think that he's not here. He said he's going to be with you always until the very end of the age. But then I'd say this second thing. He's not left you without some physical experience of him as well. One, uh, he's given us the sacraments. The physical things that we eat and chew and drink do this in remembrance of me. He knows that we're physical beings and that we need physical reminders of him being with us. And so he's given us the, uh, the Eucharist to share together each week. It's one of the reasons why our services, our worship services, move to that point. Like the, Everything's escalating in our liturgy from the time that we gather to the time that we get to come to this table because at the table we are reminded of and somehow mystic and mysteriously experience His presence, and it's a foretaste of the table that we're going to sit at physically with Him when He returns as well. That, that's why this is the pinnacle of our, of our services. But then also the Scripture talks about the body of Christ that we can experience now. You know what that is? The church. That's, that's you. So how are other people going to know that Jesus is with them? Because because you know Jesus, and you're going to love them the way that Jesus has loved them. And you're going to be loved by them. 
in the way that Jesus has loved them. And so church is not just something that we do to gather once a week to sing some songs and to just make ourselves feel better. We are actually in the presence of the body of Christ as he is, as he is within us and in the people that are around us. You want to hug Jesus? Then hug a fellow Christian and feel their warmth, feel their heartbeat. You are hugging the body of Christ. And so that puts an excitement in us as well to be able to say that as the Holy Spirit dwells in us as Christians, when, when we come into a place, God is with us, and therefore when we come into a place, we bring God with us to others as well, in the same way that Jesus has come and become God in the flesh. We can be the hands and feet, the body of Jesus in this world that needs him so badly. So what do we do with all of that then? Well, the shepherds, what did they do? Well, they, one, they, they worshipped um, uh, and they sang with all, of this, with all of this multitude of the heavenly hosts and they, they sang. And so when we're singing our songs and we're saying our liturgy here, that's not just being contained within this room, but that it's going to the very throne room of God and to his ears as we are pouring out our heart, thanking him that God saves and God is with us. Jesus, Emmanuel. That something cosmic and, uh, and timeless and mysterious is happening in our very worship as we pour out our hearts to God. And so let's worship well. And then we're gonna, as we remember the birth of Christ, let's do all the things that you do when you celebrate. Feast well. That's right. Cook the turkey or the ham or whatever it is that, that you cook and have for, um, for, for Christmas. And that that's part of worship. Being together with your family. Enduring your family, um, ministering to your family. Like that, that, is, that is worship and that is ministry and that is joy. You, we, we give gifts because Jesus is, uh, has given of himself and is calling us to be generous in the same way he is. So we give generously to other people as well. We put lights up on our house. Like all that stuff is, is great. We cut down a tree and pull it. Well, well, I don't know what happened there. But somehow, because God came, we put a tree in our house. And that's celebratory, and that's okay. Celebrate well. Feast well. Give well. Be joyful well. Because God saves and He's with us. He's not just capable of saving out there somewhere. He saves and He's here. And so that we can worship Him and at the same time long for Him to come. So friends, be amazed this Christmas. Be, be reflective on the fact that God has entered into our world and the miracle of what this means, that Emmanuel, God is with us, has come. And that He's returning. And that we can remember all of those things and participate in those things and have great joy. O come, O come, Emmanuel is a call of longing and a call for healing and a call of hope. And so this Christmas, just in these next few days, celebrate well and worship well and be filled with joy and hope. Because our call, O come, O come, Emmanuel, has been partly fulfilled. And just as he came the first time, he will return again. So pray with me.
Lord, we... Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes we have said so often times that, uh, that, that the Word became flesh and that you became one of us, that, that sometimes we can grow complacent in our recognition of the miracle of what your incarnation is and, 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 uh, and that your name is Jesus, that you save, and that your name is called Emmanuel because you're with us. Lord, let us, let us just sit in this fact. Let's just sit in this truth that you've loved us so dearly that you created us and when we became, when we fell into sin and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent your son, Jesus Christ. You pursued us to the flesh. And so you're here and you save us. Lord, let us repent and believe in you. Let us put our hope and our trust in you. Let us cast off our anger and our fear and our anxiety and press into your peace because you are here. And we long and await the day of your coming. This is a time of godly tension where we are so thankful that you are here and we await the day of your coming. Lord, let us celebrate you well this Christmas. Let us worship you well. And let us be cut to the heart by the truth of your love for us and the, the, the lengths to which you went to be with us, to save us, and to bring us into your presence. We praise you, Lord. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen.